The content here is for informational purposes only, should not be taken as legal, business, tax, or investment advice, or be used to evaluate any investment or security, and is not directed at any investors or potential investors in any A16Z fund. For more details, please see a16z.com disclosures. Hey folks, welcome. Welcome to tonight's episode of The Good Time Show. We have some incredible folks joining us. And with that, Shreya. Thank you. Uh, you know, I see DBF here in the audience, just so many different worlds. But we have a very, very special guest today um, and who's had a very interesting year. But before we get there, I want to introduce, uh, you know, some of our other guests. Um, and uh, I'm really excited because these are two people uh, that I get to work with. Uh, first, uh, uh, we have uh, Alex Rampel. Uh, Alex, when he's not cra doing crazy things uh, with a bike, uh, is a general partner at Andreessen Horowitz, where he focuses broadly on financial services and is probably one of the smartest people around that I've ever met. So, Alex, thank you for joining us. It's good to be here. Uh, we also have uh, the one and only uh, Mark Andreessen. Um, I don't know what he does, but I think he licensed his name to the name of the firm I work for. But, Matt, Mark, always happy to have you here, too. Um, yeah. Okay, so let me get to our guest, and this is somebody very, very special. Uh, uh, today we have with us uh, uh, Zachary Perrett, uh, the co-founder and CEO of Plaid. Now, uh, unless you folks have been uh, living under uh, a rock, you've probably heard of Plaid quite a bit in the news over the last year. But, you know, just to kind of give a brief introduction, uh, it, Plaid makes it super easy to securely connect your bank to all the apps you want to use. Uh, over the last, you know, half a decade or longer, if you have probably interacted with any sort of financial service at some point in time, you've probably, uh, you know, seen a login dialogue, which has been powered by Plaid. I definitely have, uh, which means Zach has uh, all my data. Um, now, for the last year, to uh, put it mildly, uh, you know, they've had an interesting run. Uh, and uh, let me kind of like quickly walk through the events that, you know, that has been reported. Uh, uh, they, uh, at one time, you know, um, Visa tried to buy them for uh, over $5 billion. Uh, uh, a bunch of uh, due to a bunch of regulatory issues, which we're going to get into, that was stopped. And then last, uh, just a couple of days ago, they announced uh, uh, you know a new round of funding. And so, Zach, first, thank you for coming on the show. And my first question for you is like, how boring has the pandemic been for you? <laughs> uh, well, first off, thank you so much for for having me. This is a really fun show to to listen to, and I'm just honored to uh, to to be invited to be a, a guest on it. Um, <laughs> Man, the, the past year has been completely wild. I, I mean, it's been wild for so many people in, in, in so many ways. But, um, you know, going through uh, first the kind of an attempted sale of the business, um, uh, obviously that, that decision was made in December of 2019 and kind of January 2020. So uh, before the pandemic occurred, then uh, to go into the pandemic, have everything, uh, the, the world change in front of us, uh, particularly in financial services. I mean, you know, people couldn't go into a bank branch anymore. And so they started using digital financial services in a really, really big way throughout the pandemic. Um, and then uh, having the, the transaction terminated in January of this year and then uh, kind of onto, uh, onto our own path, uh, which we couldn't be more excited for. It's been certainly a lot of, uh, a lot of ups and downs, uh, lots of learnings, lots of, lots of fun, lots of hard, uh, lots of hard work along the way. But um, uh, overall, a, a very interesting year, certainly. Uh, thank you. And, you know, by the way, we're going to spend the rest of the hour uh, talking to Zach and the others about uh, Plaid. Uh, you know, uh, financial services more broadly, where they see the future of banking and fintech. Um, but Zach, you know, you know, it's you know, this the, you know, this has probably been one of the most interesting stories when it comes to the world of MA and uh, regulatory pressure. You know, and I'm kind of curious about to hear about the human angle. 
here you are. You are the founder uh, and CEO of one of the most well-known companies uh, in, you know, definitely in fintech, if not uh, in tech. You know, what was it like just to, you know, live through that, you know, and to kind of walk us through how you were emotionally and walk us through how it felt to just live through the experience, starting with, you know, what happened at Visa and then hearing from, you know, uh, the regulators. Um, sure. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do my best on this. Um, it's, it's been certainly a, a, a wild ride. Um, you know, so, so starting off, uh, deciding to sell Plaid was an incredibly, incredibly difficult decision for, for both kind of myself and, and, and the rest of our, our, our leadership team. Um, you know, we we built the company over at that time about eight years. Um, it created so much impact, and uh, frankly, we were just very excited for the continued growth of the business. Um, but the reality is, uh, we felt that working with Visa would help us solve a couple of our, our biggest challenges, particularly working with the banks. Um, uh, in 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 building our, our company, we obviously build infrastructure that connects a consumers' application, a, a consumers' bank account to an application that they're using. Um, and that connectivity on the banking side was was really difficult. Um, uh, we both had uh, a lot more work to do with the banks, and, and we didn't quite have the team to do it. And uh, so uh, we were fortunate and excited to partner with Visa in that in that case. And um, also, frankly, they could help us grow so much more quickly internationally and, and so forth. And um, so we're really excited and jazzed about the the opportunity to to close a deal with Visa in January. Um, and then kind of fast forward to uh, uh, I think it was March of 2020. Um, uh, a little bit kind of early March, so 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 pre pre pandemic, early setting in, um, and we got a signal from the regulators that they were going to investigate, and this was this was no surprise. I mean, of course, uh, you know, Visa um, uh, uh, is, is a big company. This was a big transaction, and um, uh, so no surprise that they were going to investigate. And then what happened is, as the pandemic uh, ensued, is that um, we just went into this really long delay cycle. Um, you know, regulators a little bit slower to review transactions than they normally would. Um, <clears throat> there was uh, a lot more. You know, I wouldn't say scrutiny, but like a lot more work to be done. Um, and particularly, it was really hard to communicate uh, uh, throughout uh, the pandemic using Zoom. Uh, it was actually funny because, uh, you know, on a number of the calls we were, we were on with the Department of Justice, you know, one or two people couldn't figure out how to get the video working. And so we're on audio or, uh, you know, we had to default to a bunch of calls. It, it was actually just interesting uh, getting a little bit of an inside view as to how the government was uh, was shifting onto, um, shifting onto the kind of digital methodologies. And then um, the, the hardest thing really for us was uh, kind of going through the latter half of, uh, of the year of 2020, where we knew that our, our, our market had reached this massive inflection point where certain mm -hmm. businesses in digital finance were doing so incredibly well. Um, certain businesses mm -hmm. in digital finance were doing uh, really not so well. So, for example, going through kind of Q2 and into Q3 of 2020, um, lenders were, were terrified to lend to consumers, so they, they started um, you know, freezing their lines and, and slowing it down. Um, and our, our business was both growing, but then we were also trying to deal with all these customer customer issues. And, and so our team was just totally exhausted throughout the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. um, then towards the end of uh, 2020, we started to see, um, you know, kind of light at the end of the tunnel. We expected to have a decision from regulators soon. Um, uh, and so kind of lots, of lots of acceleration at the end of the year. And then uh, at the beginning of 2021, you know, we had this opportunity where um, in signing the deal with Visa, we'd agreed to a full year of exclusivity. And as we were nearing the end of that, um, we both got signal from the regulators that, frankly, it might take another 18 months on top of the 12 months that it had already taken for them to make a decision on clearing the transaction. 
Mm -hmm. And it would involve a lot of dealing with the courts and, and so forth. And frankly, our business um, and our market had, had improved a whole lot in that mm -hmm. time. And so in, in just partnering with Visa, we ended up making a different decision and deciding to go the independent path, which when we made the decision to sell the company, I was certain that was the right decision at the time. And then when the world changed and we made the decision to not sell the company, I'm also certain that that was the right decision for us. Mm -hmm. um, and now, you know, I could be more excited about the path ahead, but it certainly was a, 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 a year of emotional ups and downs. And I'm just happy that our team was uh, stayed so focused throughout all of it because, frankly, we made a lot of product progress along the way. Uh, there's definitely a joke in there somewhere about uh, the DOJ uh, helping with the next round. Uh, you know, you just mentioned something which I think is worth diving into. You know, you're obviously running a fast-growing company through all of this. Um, you know, as a CEO, as a leader, how, how did you, how, how was it for, how do you think of handling the employees? Because it must have been a, a roller coaster for them. Like one day, think of, hey, we're going to be part of Visa. Next day, they're seeing all these stories. And then, you know, the, you know, a year after that, you know, they're raising a new round of financing, um, you know, at a much higher number. So, like, how was it in terms of being a leader and keeping the team focused? Oh man, uh, that I, that was that was it was hard. Um, so, I, actually, I was thinking back. Um, the hardest two all hands, frankly, the hardest two like meetings I've ever done uh, were first the all hands when I told the company that we were selling the company. Mm -hmm. um, and then the one where I told the company that we were not selling the company and they, they were punctuated by like a pandemic in the middle and a year of work from home. And they were almost like, they, like to the day, calendar days, they were exactly one year apart. Mm -hmm. um, the, the first one was, it was in our office. I remember we had these like massive stairs in our office and the, the employees were all just uh, kind of sitting there. It was just like, um, you could, you could almost hear a pin drop when, when we first made the announcement and, and talked to employees through, through all the rationale and, you know, we had the music execs there and, and they, they had this great conversation and we went video to all of our offices. And, and, and then I did this like pretty immediately thereafter, like I spent some time with our, our, our team in San Francisco, got on a plane, went to New York and um, spent some time with the team in New York. And, um, really it was just focused on, you know, talking to everyone, making sure everybody saw the vision and, and pulling it all together. And frankly, like I was really impressed at that point at how much the team dug in and said, great, like we've got more work to do. Like this is the end of one chapter, but we're on to the next. Um, turns out that that page turn wasn't as effective as, as we thought it was. Um, then the, the second hardest one was doing the no visa conversation with the team on, mm -hmm. uh, on Zoom. And, you know, I, I've appreciated the ability to do all hands on Zoom because you can look directly in the eyes of, you know, 500 people and you can see their facial reactions if you really- Oh, that's really interesting. I know, I've, I've never heard that before. That's actually really interesting. Oh man, I think I think that um, uh, being able to do all hands, it's like uh, the production quality of our all hands is way better. Um, uh, but it's been, uh, you know, the, 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 the second all hands telling everyone, hey, look, this, this is not the direction we're going, we're running a new direction. It's hard in so many senses because- you know, despite the fact that, that you talk to your team about, you know, don't um, don't spend the money in your head, like, you know, don't mm -hmm. make decisions that are going to impact your life because there's no certainty here. Like we've been, we were really transparent throughout about the fact that there was real risk on on, on the deal, particularly towards the end. And uh, but but people do and, and they make decisions and it's impossible to ignore that kind of thing. I think as a founder, you're kind of trained in. Um, <laughs> in your ability to, to, in many senses, like bottle up your emotions and, and not act on them. Um, but, but certainly like exposing an entire team of people to that is, is hard. Um, and so that, that was the negative side. But on the flip side, you know, I couldn't be more excited for the future of the company. And so many people, um, so many people, you know, were, were 
so excited about um, about where we're going next. And um, you know, when we talked to the team, day one was surprise. Day two was you know recovery. Day three was excitement. And, and frankly, we've seen so much excitement from the team uh, going into the rest of this year. So um, definitely emotional ups and downs. And um, uh, yeah, it's it's again, it's it's been a really fun year. But uh, the team's ability to recover and like manage all those things has been uh, has been really impressive to me. That is an amazing. Amazing story. I can't believe, I can't imagine how it must have been lived through. That's just an amazing story. Um, Mark, what advice do you have for founders who want to replicate this? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, very clear. Yes, you know, absolutely. Like step one, have a uh, gigantic, uh, have a gigantic company uh, agree to buy you for five billion dollars, and then uh, yeah, step two, have the DOJ uh, shoot you down. So it's very straightforward. <laughs> very straightforward. Okay. All right. Well, that's the playbook, folks. Zach, that, that was uh, super informative for us, especially on the inside for the last year, uh, just being such a roller coaster. Talk to us about, you know, you started Plaid about, you know, nine years ago. That's a long time. And uh, the company has obviously seen a lot of ups and downs. What has it been like for you to be a founder, or, you know, of a company, you know, nine years ago, digitization of finance wasn't like quite the thing. It wasn't that hot. Uh, Plaid itself has seen a lot of ups and downs, uh, cash flow, that kind of thing. So talk to us about what it's been like for you to be a founder uh, for the last nine years. <laughs> uh, well, how much time do you have? Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm sure there's, there's there's tons of stories I could I could tell about, about being a founder. Um, one of the things I, I will briefly say, and I say it uh, whenever someone asks me what it's like to be a founder, is you should ask what it's like to be an early employee. And, and uh, for obviously many of you, um, have been early employees of companies, but uh, they do so much work as well. And I think I think they never they never get enough credit. But um, you know, a couple of the interesting stories. And, and it was actually funny because um, the visa transaction, uh, as you were going through it, you know, I, again, I couldn't be more excited with the, uh, the 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 direction that we ended up going in. Um, but uh, the visa transaction going through it, like you just learn. Uh, as a founder, you learn so much about like not assuming that anything is really ever going to work. And I know that that sounds pessimistic, but um, you know our our plan story from the earliest days was one of um, frankly a couple lucky breaks, like a number of times uh, that the business, frankly, like to most outsiders, should have or could have died. Uh, certainly, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, in in the earliest days, we had a like a, a very first seed round. Actually, this is a funny story. I'm going to diverge for a second. And um, when 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 we founded Plaid, um, we uh, you know were, it was two of us, myself and a co-founder, and William, uh, one of my best friends, amazing co-founder for so many years. Um, and uh, when we when we started the business, um, we were working on the series of consumer applications, uh, and then ultimately pivoted to build the infrastructure that we needed to create these consumer applications. Um, and we'd gone out to raise our our first round of financing, and we put together this like. You know, for us, this this amazing seed round, which this was in twenty, I think it was like end of twenty thirteen, and this amazing seed round, which was a five hundred thousand uh, dollar uh, convertible note on a three million dollar cap. Wow. Okay, this a high price because we were based in New York. By the way, I think um, I, I kind of a newly minted VC. I'm looking at, I'm just doing the math in my head, and I'm like, wow. That, yeah. No. Yeah. So I mean, we, we put we well, yeah. we actually we put together this round and. Uh, at the last instant, like the the like two days before the funds were supposed to wire, the the lead investors, an angel investor, pulled out, and then the rest of the round pulled out, except Whoa. for these three people. Um, all three of them named Justin, uh, and they invested <laughs> an aggregate of like sixty thousand dollars or something like that. 
And I, actually, I'm not sure if they, if they all three know this story. I don't think we ever told this story live. Um, uh, but these three folks named Justin, they all invested uh, $60,000 in aggregate. Um, and that was the only way that the business stayed alive because uh, we, we had no money. We were, we were, I was wow. significantly credit card debt when we were starting the company. Um, and so, uh, you know, you have that. Then fast forward to our Series A. Once we raised our, like, as we were raising our Series A, we got sued by one of our competitors for this kind of trumped up patent infringement lawsuit. And, and that was another whole story. And the business almost died again. There's another case after that where we ended up uh, turning over salary. So there's been uh, all of these cases where the business has almost died. And, and I think it, it, when uh, I gave this talk, um, it must have been two, three years ago. Um, basically, yeah, the, the theme of the talk is supposed to be startup advice, and I'm not sure I have that much startup advice, frankly, uh, to, to, to give anyone um, other than the experiences I've had. And the only advice I really had to give this group was don't die uh, as a startup. Uh, and I think that that is, uh, you know, the most important lesson that I've learned, which is, you know, just don't give up, keep fighting. And uh, somehow if you fight long enough, uh, good things happen. Oh, but I love that story. Uh, three Justins is great. Uh, did you ever interact with the people who pulled out later in Plaid's uh, lifetime? Uh, you know, the, the honest answer is, I, I think I think I've bumped into them a couple of times. I don't, I don't think I've ever had, um, uh, you know, extensive discussions with them. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, I, 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 I don't, I, 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 no, no hard feelings towards them where I couldn't be happier with the, uh, the path we, we landed on, but um, certainly a lot of work along the way. It's okay. I'm sure they're, yeah, they've definitely had a lot of emotions over the years uh, seeing you folks grow. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Alex, I want to kind of throw to you, you know, you've kind of, you know, you've been deep in the finan uh, fintech world for quite a while. You know, seeing from the outside, what do you think were the trends that, you know, made Plaid what it is today? Like, what are some of the, some of the secular trends involved in terms of the digitization of finance and, you know, uh, and the apps that are built on top of it made it all possible? Yeah, I mean, and, and certainly not to take anything away from the team, but behind every startup, there's also timing. Um, and what's interesting is that, I mean, Zach, Zach mentioned them in a very friendly context of saying they, they sued him for patent infringement, which, which is true. They had no case, but they sued him anyway. That often happens. But there was a company called Yodely, which dates back, I don't know, how, how long is that, Zach? Like 23 years, 24 years? I think it was started in like 1997. They also, to their credit, did not die. Um, but uh, they were just kind of too early. Like they allowed this idea of like they, they screen scraped all these banks. Mm -hmm. um, they actually had the, the first mint. If you everybody remembers, yeah, I mint, which was bought mint by into it. Yes, mint was built on top of Yodely. Um, but actually, Yodely had their own mint. And I, I know one of the founders of, of Yodely pretty well. I mean, he left early on, so he had, he had nothing to do with Suey Zach. Uh, he's actually a VC, a fintech VC at, um, at Trinity Ventures now. Um, but Yodely had their own version of Mint, but just nobody wanted to use it in like 1999 or 2000 because most people didn't have banks that had even websites or like they just didn't log into their web banking portal. It just wasn't a thing. So it was just kind of too early. And then Yodely was kind of just too backwards thinking in terms of like you got to sign a contract to get access. Like I, I actually I first met Zach, I think it was like 2015 or something or maybe even earlier. Because Zach, if you remember, I was spitting out this thing called TXN from trial pay and like Yodely was just it was just such a terrible company um because you gotta like go through like you know like you know it's a bad company if as a developer you're like oh i want to go use this thing now and then it says like click here to talk to one of our representatives and then it takes like two weeks for them to get back to you and then you have to sign an nda and then you have to like sign the contract before you can even use anything and see if the solution actually works for you versus the twilios of the world or the plaids of the world that say developer first 
download the thing, use the thing. You can use it for free for your first you know, X or N transactions, see if it actually works. And then as you actually grow, you start paying for it. And that's just a much, much better model to grow if your audience is developers. So you know, part of it was a timing thing from my perspective. I don't know if Zach agrees. Uh, where it's just like, you know, 98 was just way ahead of its time. It was the right idea just too early. And part of it was also just the focus of the audience, which is, you know, you're not trying to sell this to GE. You're trying to say there are thousands of really smart people that want to build things, build apps that actually access transactions or move money or show balances or do cool things where like I extract your transactions and I make recommendations to them, which was kind of like a first, the, the, the pre-plaid thing that, that you guys were working on. So in order for that to happen, you can't put up this artificial gateway of a you know sales wall and a salesperson because that's going to effectively mean that the future doesn't get created. So you know, I, I think a lot of it was like, you know, by 2010, I don't know what percentage of Americans were now accessing their bank online, but I bet it was the vast majority. So like you had that problem solved. Most people had internet access. But you hadn't really had so now like the market was ready for this, but it was just way too much of a pain in the butt to go access. And then, you know, enter stage left uh, plaid that just did a really, really good job, you know, exceptionally well documented APIs. And I remember using this, I mean, I, I literally coded something on the plaid APIs in 2014. So I, I remember this. It was just so much better than Yodely. And then a lot of other developers started using it. And then, you know, just the the, the whole ecosystem started getting built. Companies like Venmo popped up. Yep. I mean, it just became a much more normal thing. And like, actually, I think some of the best products have this in common, which is a long time ago, they seemed like a terrible idea and like very, very scary. Like when I was growing up, I don't know about you, but I was told to never get into a car with strangers offering me candy. That was a very, very bad idea. My parents were very clear about that. And now that's called Uber. Like they, maybe not with masks, they give you candy anymore, but they used to give me candy every time I got into an Uber. I thought that was kind of ironic. It's like kidnapping as a service, but like yeah. people uh, know uh, it's me, safe. Uh, trust me, Alex, <laughs> if you get into an Uber uh, in San Francisco, you still don't want to eat the candy that the driver's giving you. Just I, 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 will, I will take that to heart. So, uh, but in like, likewise, it's like, you know, never give your bank password out, never log into anything, don't trust anybody. And actually one of the really cool things about Plaid, the way that I think about Plaid is it's effectively like a trust network where, you know, I see the Plaid logo. I know it's actually okay to give my Bank of America account to E-Trade when I sign up for an E-Trade account. And like something like that will go through a Plaid. And I feel safe doing that just like I feel safe now taking an Uber, whereas 20 years ago, again, it's just like this behavior hadn't yet been ingrained and now it is. Yeah. I love that. Great. I love that. Yeah, this is great. Um, uh, Alex, I'm going to come back to you, uh, but uh, I want to go to Zach first. Zach, uh, you talk a lot about, you know, digitization of finance. Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, where, like, evolution of banking. This is something that is kind of close to your heart, and you've I've seen you like, talk about this a lot. Where have you seen um, this, uh, you know, how have you seen banking evolve? And you also talk about, you know, better financial outcomes, uh, having financial freedom, just being able to get more access. Where do you think it has all started and where do you think it's going from here? And uh, Alex, um, I, I want to come to you with the same thing uh, after Zach. Well, uh, first of all, I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll echo what Alex said, which is, um, you know, it, we got lucky with so many things in, in building plan. Of course, tons and tons of hard work along the way, but we, we certainly got lucky in terms of timing. Um, we started the business, um, we started Plaid in this little tiny office in, in, just off of Union Square in New York City. Uh, we moved it to San Francisco later, but 
Um, we started the office just up Union Square, and it must have been two or three times a week that we were walking to work that we'd walk through these like Occupy Wall Street protests that uh, are going on all throughout uh, New York City, but yeah. but but certainly in, in Union Square. Mm-hmm. And, and in, in so many senses, that, that galvanized us towards this problem of how do we allow consumers to interact with their kind of financial life, interact with their, their money in a way that they wanted to, as opposed to in a way that they felt like they had to. Um, if you remember back to 2012, the way that you interacted with your bank account was most likely that you walked down the street to your bank and you talked yep. to your banker in person, or maybe you went to your, your bank mm-hmm. branch, or uh, sorry, maybe you went to your ATM, or maybe, maybe you logged in online, but there wasn't much to do online. And, mm-hmm. and certainly this concept of, of banking with a third party uh, or banking with a non-bank uh, wasn't something that, that, that you were excited to do. Um, and so, so there's this massive consumer frustration because consumers felt like they were locked in. They didn't have any other choices. They had the choices of the, the bank that was down the street that they could go talk to, uh, but they only had one mortgage option. Um, and so then as, as we kind of looked at this market, we said, well, there has to be some sort of way that there can be other digital consumer financial applications. Um, and at the time, if you thought of digital finance, the only thing that existed was basically PayPal uh, and Mint, uh, of course, um, uh, but uh, not, not so much else. And so we started working on these consumer apps before we built Plaid, and that was frankly um, a terrible idea because uh, you know we built these applications. They generally devolved to like budgeting applications that told you to spend less money, which the automatic consumer reaction for telling you to spend less money uh, is uh, is to delete the application. Um, yeah, so we were not very good at that bit of consumer psychology. But then we ended up on this this infrastructure uh, and, uh, set of products, which which obviously were, were very valuable. Um, but what we're seeing for consumers is that they've, they've, they've made this massive shift where they previously thought about banking happening in a branch. Now they're mm-hmm. entirely online. Most consumers have three to five like primary financial applications mm-hmm. and a long tail of more than 20 different uh, digital financial applications, um, all doing kind of these different point solutions, point services. And uh, this concept of, of doing everything with a single bank that almost mm-hmm. doesn't exist anymore. You're comparison shopping using so many of these, these different financial products. Um, the question I ask myself is like consumers now have, you know, four or five different bank accounts, four or five different stores of value. They have multiple different ways to pay. It's, it's becoming uh, really, really complex. I think the question I ask myself is, when does this end? Like, right. how many different products do consumers end up having? Um, but we are really in this deep part of an S curve right now, where mm-hmm. the number of applications that consumers are using is, is growing up really, really rapidly. And then, obviously, COVID um, accelerated this massively. So it's been it's been fun to watch. I think um, the the thing that that I take a lot of a, a lot of joy in watching is that as consumer access has gone up, more people have access to the types of products that they need. So more people have access to mortgages, more people have access to loans, more people have access to financing that they, that they really need, but also competition has increased. Um, and in, in a purely consumer-centric view, that's great because all of a sudden, instead of trying to get a $5,000 loan, you had to walk down the street and talk to the banker. Um, now you can go on the internet, take an $5,000 loan, you'll have a bunch of uh, lending club and all the lending club uh, clones and, and the different different small small dollar lenders will right. all pop up and you can get a better rate at the end of the day. And so um, that for me is, um, I mean, that's really our mission. It's to lock financial freedom for everyone. So um, <laughs> that is that is certainly a point of pride. Uh, I have a, you know this is fascinating because I, and uh, Zach, I want to ask you a follow up here. So um, and this 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 follow up question is going to sound somewhat partial, but I don't think which is what is a bank going forward? And the reason I ask that is you know when I was growing up, a bank was the place where you went to deposit your cash. Uh, you know you you know you, you, they help you get loans, they help you get financing. They probably had a, a bunch of uh, locker boxes that you stored stuff in. Um, and you know, it, it literally when Arti and I moved to the United States, the bank that we picked just happened to be the one down the street. We literally saw the branch, uh, you know, uh, that was there down the street, and we walked up to it 
um, and uh, we got an account. But these days, uh, you know, uh, most of my interaction with my banks uh, are through an app or through a site. Uh, I have a lot of interaction with financial services products, which are not built by banks anymore. So I'm just curious to see when, you know, let's say playing this forward, let's say 10 years from now, what is going to be a bank? <laughs> I have I have no idea. It's actually interesting. So um, we've seen traditional banks moving digital. So you know, JP Morgan going digital, building these 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 great uh, you know online services. Um, we've seen neo banks exist. So things like Chime or Square Cash or, or I say Cash App and, uh, or uh, 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 like Venmo or, or things like that. Things that you know see and look and feel a lot like bank, and, and they have stored value. They have cards that they issue. And they allow you to transfer funds. Increasingly, they allow you to get loans in different places. Um, and then we've seen um, tons and tons of different companies. And Alex, you have a great line on this, which, which you should chime in in just a second. Um, but we've seen tons and tons of different companies that are you know, large tech players that have attention, that are starting to add these financial products in because it's a new way to monetize and retain their customers. And so what we're seeing right now is that consumers have stored value. You have dollars that are held in so many different places that on, uh, in many cases you don't even recognize. Um, so you have dollars that are probably held in Uber. You have points or, or rewards points that are held in every credit card you have. Um, and uh, for us, we think that there's still a really great opportunity to find ways to, to synthesize and, and integrate all of these different places that you store value or, or, or that you might get financial services into a single place. Um, but Alex, I think you, you, you were the one even that, that told me a lot about this theme. I don't know if you want to chime in there. Sure. I mean, it, it's. Uh, I think I told it by means of a joke, which is there. There are two pigs in a barn, and one of them says to the other one, "This place is awesome. Like it's heated. The food's free. Like they give us clothing. Like I, we love this place." And then the caption is, "If you're not the customer, you're the product being sold." Because obviously the pigs are going to become bacon. Um, and you know, effectively, there are two ways of making money. Such a dark a, analogy, Alex. That's a dark <laughs> you know, it, analogy. It's, it's funny. It's funny. It's a funny joke. You have so much like, darkness in you. Uh, you know, it's not a very I, kosher I, analogy I, either. It, it is no, not it's not. That, that, that is true, but, but a lot of people we like We should have a discussion about the analogy later, but sorry, go on. It, it could be two cows too, right? It could, it could be two cows about to be butchered, but uh, the same thing applies, right? Either you're the customer, there are two ways of making money for a B2B, sorry, for a B2C business. You either sell ads, which means you're selling the attention of your customer, or you're selling a transaction or a subscription to the customer. So Peloton subscription, Facebook advertising, like it's pretty, pretty clear. But now there's a third thing, which is fintech, which is, I mean, like I actually changed this joke. Somebody wrote this actually about Facebook. It said Facebook at you and it showed the two pigs. But um, the, the other thing is now like, hey, uh, this product is free. The barn is great. They just want us to use their credit card or they just want us to use their bank account. So, uh, and actually one of the things that also is kind of this kind of bizarre lucky moment in time that's powering a lot of these things is there is part of Dodd-Frank, which actually obviously came out of the global financial crisis, which is called the Durbin Amendment, which basically says if you are a financial institution with under $10 billion of assets, which most community banks are, um, the interchange, the amount that you make on credit card swipes as the bank, the amount that you keep, uh, will not be regulated by the Federal Reserve. If you're over 10 billion, then the Federal Reserve gets to regulate. So guess what? For the big guys, it's now five basis points, 0.05% per swipe plus 21 cents or so. Um, so you know you can't have a rewards card where you only get 0.05% cash back. That doesn't really work. But for an under $10 billion asset institution, 
you can get 1.6 or 1.8%. It's not regulated by the Fed. And this has been something that all of these fintech companies have gone onto for a monetization plan. So like Chime, this is like a really interesting point about Chime. Chime is the leading neobank in the U.S. If they were bought by Chase tomorrow, their revenue would be approximately $0 a year um, because they're making 1.6 or 1.8. I don't know what the percentage is, but you know so something in the neighborhood of 1.6 to 2% mm -hmm. on debit card swipes because they're, they're not a bank, but they're going through a bank that is Durban exempt. Um, whereas Chase, not to say that Chase is treated unfairly because, you know, good, good for, they, they caused the global financial crisis. Who cares, right? Like, I don't really care about Chase being treated unfairly, but like, it, it is a little bit of an unfair fight where Chase on a debit card gets five basis points. All the chimes of the world are getting 1.8%. And that's actually great for, you know, you have plat on one side, which is allowing them to read in information. Mm -hmm. And then you have other tools like Marketa is a tool that allows, uh, or Galileo is a tool that allows these fintechs to go issue cards and then make money, which is a long-winded way of getting back to my two pigs joke, which is, hey, we're going to give, uh, we're not going to charge the person anything. We're not going to show them advertising. We're just going to give them financial products for free. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, that works because we have superior economics to banks. Banks will often have superior economics when it comes to lending because their cost of capital is lower because a bank, they can, they can use their deposits to fund loans and a fintech company can't do that. But when it comes to things like you know, basic debit card swipes, the fin advantage fintech companies. So, so that, that's kind of one of the things that's powering. And actually, just, just coming back to another thing that you said as well, which is, um, Zach and I share a friend of this guy, David Haver, who's fantastic. And one of the things that David has as a claim to fame is he was the one that originally built this graphic of Craigslist showing yes. the unbundling of Craigslist. This oh, is like this famous, famous graphic where it's like, okay, Craigslist powered a million DC thought pieces. Things. Yeah, I, it really was. He was like ahead of his time. Like he was an associate at Spark Capital, built this thing, and it showed here are like a hundred company, hundred like categories on Craigslist. Craigslist is terrible. All of these categories were done terribly. Like there was a transportation category for getting rides to the airport on Craigslist. It would just flake out half the time. Like your driver wouldn't show up. And then Uber built that into an actual function. Like Airbnb existed pre-Airbnb on Craigslist, but it was terrible. And then Airbnb took that category, verticalized it, built it better. Like that's happening to banks as well. Like Wells Fargo, go to their website. You could build a David Haber slide of Wells Fargo, where the 40 things that they do, there are startups that do these things better. And again, like they're all power in order for that to work in order to, for this verticalization of banking functions to work, you need connective tissue to tie this all together. And, you know, I'll, I'll embarrass our, our uh, guest here, or the other guest here, where it's like, this, this is what Plaid, this is why Plaid is such an amazing company, because they are the connective tissue for the future, in my opinion, of all of finance and banking, like this is what banks look like in the future. Wow. That's great. Yeah, I remember that uh, particular uh, graphic. It was just literally everywhere. Uh, you know, I, I think we, we see it every few days and just get shared around. Should I mute yeah. something? I was going to say, if if David had got a percentage of every company which pitched <laughs> using the graphic in their slide deck. I know, right? Um, you wanna, if you want to know a small a small world story, uh, well, actually, first, I'll comment that Alex, uh, it's really good that Clubhouse doesn't have video because I get really embarrassed when Alex says stuff like that. Um, but uh, David actually was the associate at Spark Capital that that ended up uh, introducing Plaid to Spark Capital and Spark led our, our seed round. So um, oh, uh, David David should get lots of credit. Oh, wow, great. David's fantastic. That's, that's, uh, thanks, uh, Zach. That's quite the shout out. Yeah, that's great. Um, 
Zach, you know, uh, yeah, just as a segue to this, uh, there's been a lot of talk about the creator economy, building for creators, especially, you know, with the pandemic, uh, everyone going remote. There's just this like mass proliferation and just a lot of these creator economy startups. What is, uh, when you think about Plaid, what role will, will Plaid play or what is it playing right now uh, to be able to help towards the creator economy? And I keep that as broad as possible because I'm just trying to understand how do you think about um, fintech and finance for creators in whatever ways they want to use it? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I, I know very little about uh, uh, the creator economy, uh, save, save what I read a little bit about on the internet. Um, well, you're not we back on Clubhouse, so welcome. Uh, yes, yes, yes. I've met, I've met a couple of them today. Um, no. Uh, so what, one thing I will say, so first, we've seen a bunch of these uh, kind of creator-focused uh, banks and financial services applications, um, whether that is uh, creating a full bank account or more more likely or more frequently um, creating a spending card or, or, or some way that they can actually finance a lot of the work that they're doing. So um, there's actually this really interesting uh, accounts receivable issue for a lot of creators where they create a bunch of content up front and then they don't actually get paid um, uh, via, via, via the advertisers and, and, and the platforms um, for, for many weeks or sometimes months. And so they have this actual cash flow issue every month. Uh, so mm -hmm. I've actually seen a couple instances of, um, of, of companies creating, creating these products for that. Um, yeah. But more, more broadly, what we're seeing is um, this concept of embedded finance is, again, going everywhere. So there, yes, there could be uh, neobanks or, or kind of customized specific uh, types of banks or bank-like products um, that are built directly for the uh, for the creators themselves. There could be loans that are created for the creators themselves. But also the platforms themselves are starting to think about um, how they can embed financial products directly into it. So maybe instead of, uh, it's actually interesting, a lot of companies that have really delayed payouts or really delayed account receivables will also offer you a loan in the future account receivables. So I could imagine that stuff starting to, uh, to take hold. Yeah, uh, usually Neobank. What is a Neobank? Can you explain to us? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And Alex, cut me off if I mess something up here. But a neobank is basically um, it's it's a it's a bank built for the internet, and as, mm -hmm. as simply as as I could put that. Um, uh, neobank, the term, I think it started with a lot of the new age banks that were being built in uh, in the UK, and there it's a lot easier to get a bank charter. Um, but in the US, it's it's really hard to actually get a banking charter. And so what a lot of these companies, for example, Chime uh, uh, and others, and by the way, Chime might have changed their regulatory structure. So if I, if I get this wrong, apologies. Um, but what they did in the early days is they went to a small bank and they partnered with that bank mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. where they would actually place consumer deposits at the bank. The, the consumer would have an underlying checking account that was held at that bank, but they would do mm -hmm. all their interaction through the Chime app. So Chime would place deposits. They get a share of the the, the kind of interest generated on those deposits. Um, and then they would issue cards from that bank and they would, they would basically create this entire financial services product sector that felt like a bank, but it wasn't actually a bank itself. It was relying on an underlying platform bank. Yeah, that, that's yeah. why the joke, the joke is that Neo is Latin for not. <laughs> so it's not <laughs> Neo means new, but like all of the Neo banks uh, with a few exceptions, like Varo is actually becoming a bank. There are a couple others that have actually gone through this arduous process of either getting a bank charter, buying a bank charter, or, or doing something like that. But most of them are actually not banks, as Zach said. So that, that's the funny thing. It's like, oh, I have my money in the neobank. It's actually funny mm -hmm. for me, particularly where, like, I remember my, my grandmother lived through the Great Depression, 
And she, the only thing that mattered to her with the bank was like FDIC insurance. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's like, you know, don't lose everything, at least put 90% of your assets under your mattress. Like that's what you had growing up in the twenties. And now you have all of these neobanks that are popping up that are startups and startups have this, this pesky condition of not being profitable for a while. But of course the, the custody of the assets are not with the startup. It's actually with an actual bank, mm -hmm. but it is kind of funny how the neobanks by and large, the neo just means nada, not a bank. Very fast. I haven't heard that before. That's a, that's a very quotable line, Alex. <laughs> uh, okay, we should. Uh, this has been amazing, but you should bring it to an end. Uh, first of all, I want to thank uh, you know all of you in the audience for listening in. This has been like you know uh, uh, over three thousand people for a lot of this, and over two thousand of you uh, listening. Really, really appreciate it. Um, I want to thank all of our guests, uh, Mark and Jason. Uh, my partner, uh, you know, Alex Rampel, you folks are amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, but last but not least, uh, Zach, you're amazing, uh, so generous. Uh, uh, and, you know, you should come back on the show sometime. You know, thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun.